Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you, but if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome back to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Bloody FM, the number one horror podcast network out there. And thank you to Charlie Lawrence and the most for our always catchy theme song, The Friend Song. I'm your host, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and today we're not heading to Monroeville. We are going to put on our shades. We're going to put the hood down on our vintage 1958 Plymouth Fury, and we are heading out to Hollywood King, where uh, the latest Stephen King headlines await us, in addition to a screening of Daphne Bywer's new documentary, King on Screen. Wait, what's King on Screen? Well, King on Screen is a star-studded documentary that's fueled by commentary from all our favorite Stephen King collaborators like Frank Darabont, Tom Holland, Greg Nicotero, Taylor Hackford, Mick Garris, Mike Flanagan, the list goes on. What's more? And us. And uh, oh, yeah, unfortunately, not us, but we oh, they we, cut us. They did cut us. We, you know, we flew out there. They, we had a really cool shoot uh, out in uh, Wakata, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> well, I did plug the podcast after every sentence. Maybe they didn't like that. They yeah. probably didn't. They're probably pissed off. But the good news is that is that, you know, us losers, we're not bad sports. So we actually had uh, filmmaker uh, Daphne Byer on the show, which you're going to hear her talk about how the whole project came together. And also some uh, future King projects that she hints at in the interview. So listen to that. But right now, uh, we've got some work to do. We've uh, we've got a busy episode. So busy, in fact, that we're not even doing needful tweets. We're, mm. we're gonna we, we got we got to take care of business as Winnipeg's Randy Bachman, Robbie Bachman, Tim Bachman, and Fred Turner sang decades ago. You don't get the reference? Well, hopefully my colleagues do. And you just heard him. His name. He's uh he's always holding the six string. He's he's got the blues in his blood. He's in I Chicago. I do have the blues in my blood. Rock and Randall, say hello and tell us how your summer has been treating you, especially considering you've spent most of your summer in Treacherous Mill. 
Yeah, I've been under the dome all summer. Uh, very proud of the three episodes that we knocked out. And then also Jen and Caffrey and I are recording tomorrow an episode about the cannibals, which is uh, an unreleased, unfinished book that King poked at for many years that ended up kind of uh, sowing the seeds, you would say, for for Under the Dome. So we're going to have a really fun episode of that available on the Patreon. Um, and then, yes, I do get your reference because I was just reminded of taking care of business by Bachman Turner Overdrive because one of them just died. Yes. Yeah. Who was it, Tim or Robbie? I Well, no, Robbie Robertson died. He was in the band. Right. But- but BTO, well, I need to see if they're all alive still. I can't remember. No, one um, of them, one of the Bachmans did died die? like a month and a half ago because I edited the obituary. So anyways, okay. RIP to those kings. They are kings. Are and, we sure uh, they're real, though? Yes. Or are oh, because it could be like Richard rock, rock stars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's like Garth Brooks' other pseudonym, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's actually how he got that name was because of Bachman Turner Drive? I think it is, right? Like, I think he talked about that. Jen, we must have talked about that yeah. like in our Bachman episodes. I, I He does say where he got the name. I, I think it was I'm from an author, now. though. Like, oh, I don't know. have been an author. Richard Matheson meets, like, uh, Ronnie or Randy Bachman or Robbie Bachman. <laughs> you know, maybe he's partial to any of them. What if it was, like, instead of the Rock Bottom Remainders, it just was, da- uh, like, Bachman Turner Overdrive, and that's how he got outed? Like, it's like, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. That is like, are we, are we like all agreed though that that is the quintessential like King song is like taking care of business, like the kind of music that he likes and then he talks about? Yeah. That Mm -hmm. song epitomizes him. And that's a good thing because I fucking love that song. I love that song. I always love to use it in Arrested Development because they, whenever there's like construction units, that's always, it always plays in the background. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It also uh, uh, helped name the movie Taking Care of Business starring Jim Belushi. Oh. Oh, wait, interesting. or wait, was it? Yeah, according to Jim. Yeah, he's in it. It's an 80s movie. J.J. Abrams wrote the script when he was like 19 years old. Like and in it, Jim Belushi has like a little uh, ponytail. Oh, it looks like a little I'm stealing this from the We Hate Movies Boys, but uh, they called it a king, uh, like a like a fun size Snickers. Wait, is he is this like Thief Era? Belushi, or is this much later? Probably much later. Oh, like, probably it's, like, it's like 80, 89, 89. Okay, yeah, 90. this is like canine Mr. Destiny era. Okay, well, yeah, hey, yeah. look, I'm a big fan of Belushi, big big fan of Jim Belushi. Um, my hot take is that I like Jim Belushi more than uh, James Belushi. How about that? So um, He's not here to defend himself. So. I know, he can't. Uh, but you know who is here to defend <laughs> herself? You've heard it before. Jen, it's been a hot Nashville summer, I imagine. But uh, how have you been keeping cool? Oh, it's so fucking hot down here. Hey, this is Jen too. I'm really hot, Adams. Um, it was like the heat index was like 107 the Jesus other day. Jesus Christ. Um, but the kids are back in school, so that has been nice. And I've just that's been a like, plus. Yeah, it's been great. I've been like um, sound of musicing around my house and just like luxuriating, and then of course working always. But but yeah, it's been good. I've been just eating lots of people to get ready for our cannibals episode, you know? Oh, hell yeah. So, and possibly yeah. to get ready for another episode too. I won't spoil it, but uh, I will say you <laughs> have an Alanis Morissette shirt on. So I do. You, you look like one of the cast members of Yellow Jackets uh, yeah. at this point. You know? <laughs> that just is the intention always. Speaking of cannibals, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, I mentioned before, we've got a doc discuss and a filmmaker to speak to. So what, pl- what better place to head to than Hollywood King? There's a town on the coast of Del Sol, always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul, always find my way there. People. 
people there are forever young, forever young, and they toast to each other's love each and every night. All right, you know it. Hollywood King, we are here to discuss all these headlines, all of these news headlines. And when I get to Hollywood, the first thing I'm doing is I'm grabbing myself a nice little milkshake from Mel's and moving on around the corner, maybe stopping by to wave to all the f- the, the friendly faces on Sunset Boulevard <laughs> and and stopping by to see my friends over at Uproxx and also Variety. And then down the hall, there's a, a little publication called the Dairy Gazette. And uh, that's where we've been publishing some of our stories. Randall Colburn, Rockin' Randall, he, he's uh, the head editor, and he's been publishing a lot of headlines. So we're going to be pulling from there for these stories. Jen, take the first headline, uh, and we'll go from there. All right. So King Reads Holly. Recently, our man Stevie sat in an armchair and read a section from the upcoming Holly while Molly, the thing of evil, adorably ambled over in the background. Now, do y'all think that Holly is an homage to Molly? Because that's mm, just gotta be. too much of a coincidence, right? You know, plus yeah. all the barking that Holly does, you know? Well, I so Molly's got to be like... I don't think Molly's like 13 years old, right? Molly's probably like around eight, nine. Because yeah. I was wondering like the dog, because the, there is a corgi under the dome. Um, mm-hmm. It's Jasper, right? Or is it, I can't remember the name of the corgi, but he like sees a ghost in the in the movie, in the book. Yeah. I did wonder if, if, if that was based on Molly, but I think it was probably based on the prior corgi they had. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'm, he had another corgi back in the day. He said uh, Molly's a lot more bad. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. the old corgi. He's Evil. a, he's a mean, yeah, mean dog. Um, but yeah, you can find this clip uh, on the Simon and Schuster YouTube. It's just King sort of reading uh, a chapter from from Holly, and it's just adorable because he's like in front of the screen door, and you see ho- and you see Molly kind of in her natural element, just like vibing outside. Love Aww. it. What part Do- did, of the book did he read? Was it the first chapter or the opening? Uh yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it makes that's, that's what he's been doing. I mean, he's. I feel like it was what if it bleeds that started this, or maybe the institute where he started doing like filming these, just him reading chapters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of a fun format, I guess. I I don't. It does feel like a, a mild event for constant readers and constant listeners. Like I do see people on Twitter being like, oh, um, one o'clock. He's uh he's gonna read this this chapter. We, well, he we, used to know. do book tours, you know, and now he yeah. can't yeah. really do it. So first yeah. it was COVID. Now, you know, he's he's getting up there. Yeah. He doesn't want to be on the road all the time. Well, if he can do well, it virtually too, you know, why do it live? Yeah. Well, because the live experience matters. Well, that's true. And that's matter. the only way a writer gets to feel like a god, as we learned in Lisey's story. That's yes. true. I want yeah. to wash his hair with or his feet with my hair. That's how it goes. <laughs> I want to have a green room that looks like the, the green room in Lisey's story from Apple TV Plus, where it's like all the mirrors. And uh, that's kind of a really oh, tragic that, scene, actually. But yeah. um, it was <laughs> like, a cool room, though. Cool it's bathroom. a cool room. Do we? All right. So we've all spoiler alert. We all have Holly. We've had it for a while. Um, Jen, I know you're finished, right? I'm finished. Yes. I finished when we were driving back from vacation. Oh, interesting. Were you yeah. driving, driving and reading at the same time? I was driving and reading at the same time. I'm like, multi-talented. No, Corey was driving. I was, okay. I was going to say, you're like so obsessed with the book. You're like, oh, I got it. like, hold on. The family's just, like, just put the book down. Like, like I got to know. I'm yeah. With my feet, you know. Uh, Randall, where are you at on it right now? You're I've got about, uh, about 90 to hundred pages left. So yeah, um, that's where I'm right. at. Do we want to tease on where we're landing? Probably not, right? I'm not going to say a we're word. Not say you got right. to subscribe to the Patreon because we're <laughs> only we're not unlocking it until we get there in our chronological reread. But if you are a patron, 
you do have access to our book review episodes for the new books, mm-hmm. the stuff that came out since we started the pod. So indeed, indeed. So at one day when we get to those books, it's just going to be us unlocking book after book that <laughs> we've already covered. You'll have like mm-hmm. fun references, like "God, I really love this season of The Bear" or something like that. You know, <laughs> in there. And then just feel like, "Wow, the show's ended already." Can um, you believe this COVID believe thing like, is happening? Yeah, I can't believe like, Donald Trump got elected. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I wonder if, if Biden's going to make it in this round. You know, <laughs> Billy. Summers is pretty funny, but I, you know, anyway, um, did you hear that Matt Damon's going to be in this, this Air Jordan movie, but, uh, all right, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, Randall, take the next story. Uh, yeah, I can keep this one quick. Uh, so, you know, I think it's just, I just thought this was interesting because in the archives on the Patreon, you know, the us three tend to talk about old articles, uh, old, you know, unpublished stories, but basically ephemera that King has produced that has kind of been lost to time to some degree because it hasn't been collected or hasn't been preserved. And, uh, you know, he doesn't do it as much as he used to because he used to just like write an essay for Rolling Stone or write an essay for Entertainment Weekly. And now he um, doesn't do that as much anymore, but he did uh, step in for Dear Prudence, the advice column on Slate. And uh, he basically fielded three questions, one about a lazy husband, one about vacationing with your in-laws, and one about people bothering you at work. I thought his answers were fine. I think he's being a little too kind to the intruding in-laws in the second question. I will say, however, that um, unwanted people crashing your vacation is always a great horror setup. Mm -hmm. So I hope he's inspired because that setup always freaks me the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So write it, Stevie. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's like he actually just takes it quite seriously. I thought he was going to be a little cheekier but he's like really trying to give good advice yeah do you when you say like unexpected visitors on are you thinking of like that movie speak no evil last year that's what i was thinking yeah well the thing is those aren't unexpected visitors but they are unpleasant visitors Mm -hmm. i do love that movie though i well i think i like it more like I don't want to watch it again necessarily no, no. because it's really unpleasant, <laughs> but I fucking love everything about it. Yeah. But um, but yeah, anyways, uh, like what was that movie Dave Franco directed? The oh, Airbnb? The, uh, the, rental? the rental. Yeah. Like that oh, had no, vibes no. like that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, where, that was good. Yeah. yeah. I or like that. Uh, what funny games? That would be something oh. unexpected. <laughs> oh yeah, funny games is a great example. I just love that setup. Like you're supposed to be relaxing and then just some fucking weirdo shows up and mm-hmm. and everything goes to hell because I think that's I don't know, like Cause that, that's always, whenever I go on vacation, I want to make friends. Like you want vacation friends. Mm-hmm. It's a fun thing, but there is always that, like, you can't get too close, you know, because right. then they'll, they'll intrude on your vacation. Mm-hmm. You know? Or what if they're yeah. weird, you know, I, they, they might be weird. Yeah. They would, you know, I'd say the odds are probably in favor of them being weird versus them yeah. being normal, you know? Right. But, it's sad to say, but there was a really good episode of Louis that was about this very topic where he's in Miami and oh, yeah, he meets, it's app. like one of the best apps because it was like, he meets this guy and then he actually really wants to spend time with him. But then because, you know, adult males being that they are, they think he's, you know, queer. And it's just, it's a, it's a very interesting study about just those type of relationships and just how hard it is to create adult relationships. And honestly, yeah. that's, that's something that we talked about on with King last year. It was, yeah, it was one yeah. of them. You could tell he perked up when you, when we were you know talking about that. But um, I, the one thing I love about this is it does remind me a little bit of King's garbage truck, which we yeah. you mm-hmm. know, talked. Uh, Similar talked tone. Yeah. 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 But I wanted, um, I, I wanted a little more of that kind of garbage truck. Like I, 
I don't know. I don't want him to tell people to murder people, but like, I don't know. Most of his advice just kind of boiled down to like, can't we all just get along? Yeah. It's like, tell me what to actually do. That's what I was saying. Like, I thought he would be a little like spicier, you know? Right. Exactly. Because that's that's really the point of an advice column, because I mean, by the time these letters get to whoever, Dear Prudence, which I have that song in my head now. I know. I just keep uh, hearing the fucking beginning (laughs) over because it's the first two words, right? It's like, Dear Uh Prudence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a good song though but it's it's a dr- dirty the white album worm. yeah it's a white album right mm-hmm. my, my, here's my hot take one of my least favorite white albums. <gasps> yeah not a big fan of the white album i i am I, leaving <laughs> it's it's a little too it's it's cluttered it's it's, it's like too, my it's dad a little too long yeah. it's too long it's like you get these fucking weird songs you're like what are you doing like come yeah. on. It got blackbird though you know it does yeah, have blackbird it's got the highs are real high it's like yeah. skeleton crew you know? it, honestly, yes. it is a lot. Like that's a good point. You know, I think when when John and Ringo were to get in together and they're waiting for you know Paul and George to come on, they're like, you know, this song is a lot like <laughs> this snake that uh, that appears on you know. <laughs> All right, what's better, Dear Prudence uh, or Hey Delilah? Oh God, Oof. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the All American Rejects are kind of like our modern Beatles. Mm, yeah, you know, I, I do love Swing Swing. That's a pretty good song. Oh know? my God, I forgot about that song. That song fucking rules. What do you I think love is better? That song. The All American Rejects debut or the White Album? <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me choose. I know, Jesus. Um, my neighbors just got a dog named Delilah and they play that song all the time now. We're trying uh, to see if we can get her to like go crazy or something or like are you gonna like, sh- or like beg for trees you need to like shoot their boom box with a gun because you're like <laughs> turn it off i we get you know at the we, joke <laughs> sammy's turned into a lane uh in our apartment because we have this dog that's two floors above us that will not shut the fuck up anytime you move it just barks and so the owner leaves during the day and we work from home and so you just hear the rough 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 all day and then like i'll just be in the other room and i'll hear sammy there and i'm just be like shut up and it's just like it's just the same thing as you need uh, to slip Atlantic. some lunch meat under the yeah. door yeah <laughs> i need to get the slicer get oh the my slicer. god i totally forgot about that yeah um good up good up <laughs> um okay take the next story john okay all right. Ooh, I'm excited about this one. So just as us losers began to ask what the hell was going on with that Pet Cemetery prequel about young hunky Judd, we heard about years ago, Paramount Plus went ahead and dropped a handful of first look images. It's called Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, hmm. and it's due out on October 6th, though you won't find it in theaters. We will remain optimistic. I will always remain optimistic about New King stuff. Given the fact that it's got David Duchovny, Pam Greer, Henry Thomas, I hear he is playing Judd, actually, and Forrest Goodlock. Henry Thomas? He's, no, he's not I'm playing Judd, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, no. He's playing, playing Judd's Jack Nicholson. Dad. He's coming. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Judd, Judd's poppy. The guy who's playing Judd is, the only thing I know him from was the HBO series Mrs. Fletcher, which is based on a Tom Parada novel, and he plays like a little shithead jock in it, and he was really good, and so I'm like, I can't I think his name's Jackson White or something like that, but he's really good. But uh, so I don't know. The whole cast, I think, is good. And then Forrest yeah. Goodluck, I, I I called this out in the newsletter, but um, the movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline that came out this year, which is really good. He was by far my favorite actor in it. I thought he was really, really good. And I didn't really know him before. So I'm excited about I don't know. I'm excited about this movie, although it is a little weird that they're not putting it in theaters because you know, horror mostly cleans up in theaters. So right. they think, I think this is a big, big pull for Paramount plus like they need, I mean, I know based on just what's been going on last year, you know, they need, I, I by this time, I feel like they'll probably have the new mission impossible movie potentially on there. I think they're going to try, th- this will, 
potentially pull in some subscribers for them. I, you know, spoiler, I have seen this. So oh, shit. Um, yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So no spoilers right now, but um, so I'll, I'll hold my, my judgment on this, but it's, uh, it's, it's, there's, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, point of view into this because I mean, personally, even just before having watched it, like I was pretty excited about this. I, I am still excited about it just to kind of talk about it because I think with the 2019 remake, I think a lot of us were all like, well, we love the original one. Like I love right. Mary Lambert's original 1989 version. And I still argue that it's like one of the best King adaptations because it I agree. looks and feels like a King movie. Like yeah. it's set in Maine. It's record. It's fil- I mean, it's filmed in Maine. You know, we went to the location. I mean, it's, 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 it's all, it all looks and has that, that feel. So when we got to the remake, it just kind of felt like a shrug and I was like, ah, eh, whatever. But with this, it's like, it is exciting to be like, all right, here are stories that we know, but you're able to expand upon in different ways. And well, actually, Jen, why don't you read the synopsis? Cause the, we have the whole synopsis now, finally, which is okay. kind of great. Cause we, we kind of just were guesstimating beforehand on what this movie was going to be about. Yeah. Was it going to be about Hanratty or the, yeah. yeah, I do have an update before I get to the synopsis. I went, it is Jackson white. Um, cause I went to see if he was dreamy. He is dreamy. He is. He's very dreamy. dreamy. He is very dreamy. Yeah. Yes. And also Samantha Mathis is in this. Do y'all know yes. oh, what makes her a King alumnus? Um, I do because she is in the Salem's Lot remake, right? She is. She's Susan yeah. Norton in the oh. Salem's Lot remake. Yeah. Do you know why she's an alumnus in my heart? Uh, because of Pump Up American the Volume. Oh, that's Slayer. right. Oh, yes. oh yeah. And, she, and American Psycho. And American actually, Psycho. Yeah. She has one of the most depressing scenes in that movie when like Patrick's over and they, they clearly just had sex. And then she's like, Patrick. And then he's like, what? And then he like stops. And then she's like, nothing. Never mind. And then yeah. she just kind of lingers there. And you can just tell she's probably in some like weird drug state. It's just uh, that scene always gets me. But yeah. see, this anyway. is what this is what has me more excited than anything is like, I don't know. I feel like we have such we're losing the good ensemble movies because Agreed. we don't have as many, you know, iconic actors anymore because they don't cast anybody who looks like a real person in anything anymore. Yeah. So it's like, so you get this movie and it's got all these actors who have proven themselves time and again as like great in like great shit, but you know, they're not huge stars. Like obviously they probably, this was probably like their B list of people they wanted to get, but I mean, Duchovny, Pam Greer, Henry Thomas, like, uh, and then Samantha Mathis, it's, these are all people who, to me are always just like reliable hands and they're always entertaining. They look great on screen. I love watching them and shit and they're not overused. Like Pam Mm -hmm. Greer, when's the last time she's been in something? She fucking rules. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Those, the the cast alone is is definitely a hook and it should be a hook for sure. So I agree. Well, and speaking of hook, here is the synopsis in 19, in 1969, um, I'm sorry, I have to say nice. A young Jug Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow, Maine behind, but soon discovers sinister secrets buried within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. Banding together, Judd and his childhood friends must fight an ancient evil that has gripped Ludlow since its founding and once unearthed has the power to destroy everything in its path. So I hear a quartet in there that feels like... Salem's Lottie kind of like yes, vibe, yeah. you know. Maybe it's just I have it on the brain because of Samantha Mathis. Maybe she's reprising her role as Susan. <laughs> yeah, that's she's going backwards, <laughs> like you know. Oh, it's uh, Benjamin Button actually, but I also time travel when I'm going backwards. Hey, um, it would not be the first time a character this, from that book has popped up in um, an unexpected place. Um, the photos reveal a hot Judd <laughs> and the rest of the cast, including a dog that sure looks like it just crawled out of a grave. Yeah, so, which has me worried, but. Yeah. 
As I said in the Discord the other day, I will watch a movie where a dog dies. I will just be a big baby about it. Mm. Um, so see Last Voyage of the Demeanor. Anyways. Oh, yeah. I, I think this looks cool. And like the photos look neat. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't really have, I will say like, looking at the photos, it does have that digital sheen that I fucking hate in movies nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it does look like there's some grit to it. I like the cast. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to be like really optimistic about this one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, you know, I will say the, I like that they're, you know, they haven't released a trailer yet for it, which is awesome. Um, which I imagine they will. In, you yeah. Know, in Cause that's pretty soon. It's October. pretty soon. I, mean, I imagine it'll come soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is middle of August, which is wild. Um, and this is heading out and what I think sometime in, uh, October possibly. Yeah. It's so mid October, October 6th or something. Yeah. So that's, oh, okay. you know, it's, it's exciting or mid October, I believe. Yeah. But, uh, exciting. I mean, it's, it's a King movie. And it is you know, a movie, right? It like is, I saw Paramount yeah. Plus and I just assumed it would be a no, series. No, it is a movie. And honestly, okay. like it's technically a King adaptation because it's still part of the, you know, the story of Judd. So like, yeah. it's not like, you know, Children of the Corn earlier this year where it was like something totally different. <laughs> Although I will say I had fun with Children of the Corn also. I did I mean, too. That's fun. This is the, the thing that I was thinking about with this is that we are so bereft of like King adaptations now and any of those that we do get are traditionally ones that we've kind of already seen or expected or just seem very boilerplate. So I kind of am more interested in these type of swings now where it's just like, yeah. Yeah, all right, fine. You know, Same. like it, it feels nostalgic to like the nineties a little bit where we yeah, used like to get it's like, not oh, a big here's Nightfire. No. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not a big event movie and I'm okay with that. Like, like, uh, um, and I, I will say too, I'm glad that they're not sort of hyping this as being connected to the, uh, 2019 remake which i really did not like I know, uh may i think mainly because i thought i appreciated you know i'm not going to spoil it necessarily but like they do make a huge change from the book that mm-hmm. was very controversial and i was like oh that and i talked about it on the podcast ad nauseum like this has potential to be awesome if they do it right like it does it would tell the story in a new way unfortunately i feel like they really biffed it and then the last third of it i think is just an absolute train wreck it but yeah. yeah but like um, I don't know. I feel like this one, it doesn't have that expectation to live up to. It can be, a, if it is just like a simple horror thriller or something like that, I will be a hundred percent happy with that. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want, I don't need this to be important or need this to be epic or yeah. any of those things. I'm like, tell me a small freaky little story. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't you feel like since it, one of the major problems has been that we've they have been trying to tout it as like oh here's the next yep. game changer. Mm-hmm. Or the, I mean mm-hmm. I do just wish that like they there was that sort of I mean that's kind of one of the reasons why 1922 was so great it was just right. like there's unassuming it's contained um, you don't see a lot of hyperbole around that which was no franchise nice. building. No, yeah. it's just it just I mean technically and technically this is franchise building it but is, yeah. I don't feel that way because a they're not they're not stringing it to the 2019 movie uh, and like they're allowing it to sort of be its own thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate, and there's no like characters coming back, you know, like, I mean, it is set in the past, but they're not trying to do any lore, right. Aside from what is already built into the story. Like they're not expanding this lore too much. I hope they don't in the movie. They might, we'll see. But, um, but yeah, I'll just say that, like, I think about the children of the corn movie and I think what it's not good, right. We not love it, but we had a lot of fun talking about it Mm -hmm. because at least it felt, it felt like those old, 90s movies right yeah and um i will just say justin is very mad at me though because i have it ranked above scream six on my letterbox year movie ranking so it's uh, funny though because i've 
but you know what? I'm it's I'm terrible. Almost, Scream Six is like one of the worst movies I've it's, ever seen. It's slowly fading from my memory. Like I forget. <laughs> I literally I'm just being a bitch. I didn't which like one it. is six? Is six the most recent one? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So that's the problem. <laughs> like, yeah. It literally came out five months ago. I and that's the they thing. They should have like, just I, named it Scream and just dropped. The oh, six. again? It would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> they should yeah. just release like every Scream movie is just called Scream from now on. From yeah, now exactly, on, yeah. and you distinguish it by the year in parentheses. Yeah. Uh, well. Keep it going in the cemetery because we've got a little bit more news uh, from uh, actually from front of the pod. Yeah, John uh, Campopiano. I'm hoping I'm saying that correct. He's an awesome dude. Yeah, uh, friend of the so Losers cool. Club, director of the excellent Pennywise story of It, has another project on the horizon to get excited about. He also directed Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery, which is a great documentary about the yeah. 1990 film. And uh, John began prepping a retrospective book in honor of the Mary Lambert adaptation's 35th anniversary. It's called Hollywood Comes to Maine, Revisiting Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, and it includes new interviews with the cast and crew, as well as newly discovered archives from the production and essays from those in the know uh the book will be out sometime next year because next year is the anniversary and mm -hmm. yeah we're very excited uh so um because a i love that movie b i love john i love the work he does mm -hmm. and um i don't know and, and this isn't this like a coffee table book kind of it is yeah oh, cool. i'm a huge love. fan of those yeah. like i love bev vincent's coffee table book that, right. that came out last year i've still mm -hmm. flipped through it all the time um I'm, I'm just a big fan of those books in general and uh, you know john actually called a few weeks ago, uh, talking about because he, you know, he, he was like, "Would you guys be interested in in trying to get involved with this?" And oh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Man, this would be fucking awesome. I mean, because I, this is a personal favorite. I mean, I love this fucking movie. I, I still, mm -hmm. you know, I'd probably put the Dead Zone and, um, you know, Stand by Me and stuff all at the top. But like when I think of like the horror movie of Stephen King and like the horror book and capturing the book to a you know literal level, like it really does. I mean, that, this does feel like a watermark for me. And I, and I'm still sort of confused at those that would were so negative oh on it. people like, hate I, this movie it's people weird hate it. i don't get it for me it's like i mean don't get me wrong i don't think it's perfect or anything but like if i i and i i know i also understand that a lot of nostalgia like clouds yeah. it like for yeah. me zelda is probably when i think about the things that terrified me as a mm -hmm. child the things that really cemented themselves as horrific images that haunted me in my nightmares it was like the guy's face falling off in yep. poltergeist and the doll in poltergeist and <laughs> yeah. uh the um and then yeah like zelda those were the three images that i think forever haunted me and scarred me and so now as an adult i love all those things and uh yeah so i i just love this movie because i just think and i think the vibes like like, you know, when I say that, I mean, you're you're right when you say it really feels more like a King novel than almost any other Stephen King adaptation. It does. There's yeah. Just, go for it, Jen. Go for it. I, just, I, I wonder if that's where some of the critique comes into it, because it does have that kind of warmth, you know, and I could see people wanting to because I didn't like it for a while. I was like, oh, the effects look bad. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, this is really cool. This feel and so I've really turned around on it. Um, but it terrified me as a kid. Like church jumping on my bed, that was what mm. was scaring me, you know? And then like like you said, Mike, this is like one of the biggest titles in King's Canon for me, both film and um book, you know. It it certainly you know what scares me as an adult more than anything now is when uh what's his name? Uh, Dale Midkiff falls off the bed yes. and bonks his head on the table. Yes. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, that would give me a fucking concussion. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And it almost hits his eye too. Every time yeah. I watch it, I'm like, is it going to hit his eye? I think when we talked to Mary Lambert, we we brought that up and she was like, yeah, that was kind of an <laughs> accident and we kept it in there. And, Ooh, uh, you know, but horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I just, I, I'm very excited to get into this project. And I think, you know, there, there are discuss like we were kind of kicking around the idea of like even kind of going back 
Yeah. Um, we can say hi to our because, friend out at the, yeah. the burial ground. Yeah, right. Well, we almost got, you know, I thought we were going to get arrested or, yeah. you know, shot. Um, but I'd love to like, go back to Maine. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, it just, this would be a really good project to go on. And I just, I, there is something about this film that I've really deduced it after doing this podcast for six years. Cause I've always been like, what is the first thing that King has? And it really is this, the, the, is Pet Cemetery. Like the poster mm-hmm. really is something that's, that stuck with me. So, oh, like, yeah. right. It, like nostalgia does cloud a lot of it, Randall, for me. But, I do think But I've watched it as an adult and I still think it's a good movie. Yeah. It is, like, yeah. I, and it's scary, it's dark, it's upsetting, like it just hits yeah. in all the right ways. I, Pascal's I feel hot, like you know. Pascal Pascal is hot and Pascal knows best, as my pin says, uh, despite the fact that I know that that Justin and Randall are not are not team Pascal from this no. movie so much. So it's it's worst fine. part of the movie. You know, I <laughs> still love him. I still I love his wry humor and uh you know his, or should I say gallows humor? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh I like I when his brain at, starts leaking out of his head. That's awesome. If they're that part's Cool, next yeah. year i would love to just be, go up to brad i think it's brad henderson maybe is his name but um and and be like hey you know i gotta say like i'm probably your biggest fan i'm i've i've uh been you know campaigning for your existence in pet cemetery you know forever but maybe like randall be like, thinks you suck you know? yeah yeah with him yeah, that would be great. That would yeah. Be awesome. and, yeah. You know, um, Ooh, I have to say, well, the, uh, the new pet cemetery, it, the the thing that still bothers me every time I think about it, I think about the part where there's a big staple in the back of her head. Oh, yeah. Brushing yeah. her hair. That part was cool. Yeah. That part's oh. the best part. Yeah. Like, it the, is the best the part. That, it makes me so want to vomit. <laughs> I just rewatched it again because, you know, we had, had gotten the screener for the, the, the prequel. So I was like, all right, let's just go sit down and rewatch this original one. And like, God, did I like, I was just like bored. Like, I, it, like, and I didn't even like hate it so much when I first came out. It was kind of just like, oh, whatever. But yeah, I think I was the hater. It, yeah. Everybody was annoyed at me. So I was like, fuck that movie. No, because, because the, the thing is, it got so hyped because Caffrey had, had seen Caffrey it really Spotify loved it, which, and, hey, we love Caffrey. You know, yeah. But it was, you know, there are definitely parts of it that I do like and, and appreciate. I like, I think it's, it gets very mean, but. For me, it just doesn't, it misses the the whole thing of the King novel, which is that that camaraderie between Lewis and Judd is so fucking key. Like, mm-hmm. it's so key. And it's just absolutely missing in that movie. And I agree, yeah. The, the, the economy of the family is missing, and it all just feels like a punchline. And it's very self-aware of just it kind of subverting the things from the original movie as opposed to just doing its own thing with the book, which pissed me off too. But anyway. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's move on because if we go down too far, uh, we'll find ourselves lost with uh, you know beyond the deadfall. So, but bloodlines I got, look great. <laughs> it, it does look great, and we're very excited. And we've got what six or seven or eight more weeks to get there, so we'll probably have yeah, more news. We'll have an up. episode about it. But speaking of news, we got one more one more headline. So last week, King visited our pal Neil McRobert over on his Talking Scared podcast, and he confirmed that there's going to be a new collection in 2024 entitled You Like It Darker, which is over 600 pages and reminds me of the Leonard Cohen song, uh, You Want It Darker, which was the theme song for True Detective season two, I believe. Oh, uh, yeah. So if you remember that, but um, <laughs> he also said that- my heart season. Oh, yes, okay. yes. Well, the, 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 the season that decided like, hey, we could just take the ending of Heat and no one will notice, right? No, <laughs> this guy will notice because I love that movie. Um, anyway. Uh, he also spoiler said spoiler for the, heat, by the way. Yeah, spoiler for heat. Actually, it, you know, not too much. It's a very spiritual, subtle note. But anyway, speaking of subtle notes and spiritual notes, the late Peter Straub had sent Stephen King an idea for the talisman before he died, and King stated that if he were to write it, it's going to be a very long book. And that's not all. So he also Shocker. said, 
Talisman that, and Black House are two of the longest books ever written. Uh-huh. So he's it's going to be a little bit, you know, he's he's got his his work cut out for him. But, you know, you think that that would be enough. But no, he also said that he has another book uh, featuring Holly Gibney, who, if you recall, is going to be the title character of his next book that's coming out <laughs> next month called Holly. <laughs> he's going to do another one with Holly Gibney. And it's called We Think Not. Um which is what I might be saying when I reach the book. But uh, <laughs> so he's got a lot of goodies here. I'm just being a jerk. But um, I, I will say I'm going to give us a little credit. We we on our Just After Sunset coverage. We did. I believe I'd said like I said, look, the collection's going to come mm-hmm. because I think that's what he's waiting for with Rattlesnakes. I think it's been way too long since he's had a short story collection. I think what um, we're almost like at eight or nine years at this point, because I yeah. think um, Bizarre Bad Dreams came out in 2014 or 2015. I can't remember. But um I yeah, love this due. title. I'm excited for this one. This is the thing that gets me most excited because I've, I've, as I've learned over the years on this podcast, and as I said on Just After Sunset, I think I love King the most for his short stories. I really love his short stories. It's the thing that gets me into his work even more. And I devour those books. Like I read Just After Sunset in like probably like a day or two. And like the same thing with like Everything's Eventual. I read those like really fast too. And Night Shift, I've reread multiple times. So I'm all in. Give me that. That gets me so fucking excited. I cannot wait till we get the what do they call it? The galley or I don't know what those previews books are called, but I, I want it now. <laughs> like, give me that book. But uh, what about you all? What do you think about that? Are you, are you most excited for the short story collection or are you I know you're a big Holly, Holly fan, Jen. So are you <laughs> are you more excited for that or wh- where where is your interest? Where do your ears perk up the most when you got these news updates? Uh, definitely short stories. I love, I, I like you, I love the short stories. Um, it's either the super long novels, um, or the short stories for me. Same. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I'm excited about Holly. I like Holly better in every book I read with her yeah. in it. And I think, and you know, I know that there's like, we're, we've got contentious feelings about her on the pod. And I, I agree with a lot of the criticisms of her, but I think King is figuring out how to write her and who she is. And a lot of the annoying little tweaks or things that we saw in the Hodges trilogy, which I was not a fan of her in the Hodges trilogy, but I think a lot of those are starting to smooth out. And also I picture, picture Cynthia Revo every time. So that bumps her up a lot, but yeah, I'm super excited for this. Um, can't wait for another short story collection. I don't think there's a bad one, you know, like no, there are some that I like more than others, but like I, there are banger stories in every single collection. Well, so. there's definitely bangers in everyone, but I'd probably say Nightmares and Dreamscapes <laughs> overall is kind of a bad one. It is. That's, yeah, that's the hardest one. To I got a soft spot for it. I love well, it. Well, no, uh, there's it's definitely got some good stuff. really good stuff in it. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm excited for new short stories. I feel like it's it's definitely time. And, you know, yeah. you listed a few potentials that would show up here. There's obviously Rattlesnakes, which he uh, discussed when he did an interview with us. He said it was a sequel to Cujo, uh, that story. And then also you mentioned here Finn and Willie the Weirdo. We actually have a whole episode about Finn, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a novella. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's one of those king things where it straddles the line. Uh, we have a whole episode on that. Are you on that? Jen? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We have a whole episode on that. And Justin. Like, yeah. Maybe Caffrey. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe Caffrey. Yeah. But yeah, we have one, that on the Patreon. Willie the Weirdo, I've not read, although I still have the McSweeney's copy mm-hmm. where he did publish it. I'm looking at it right now. I need to get that back to you, Mike. But uh, well, I'll no rush because it's probably being you like it darker. So, you know. Uh... Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, as for Holly, I, I can't say that I'm super excited about him 
you know, so consistently going down this road. But yeah. as Mike and I were saying before we before the podcast, you know, a lot of what King recommends and a lot of what he reads these days are, you know, procedural books from authors that he likes who have their characters. Um, I feel like every time I do a newsletter and I'm writing about what he's recommending, I'm learning about a new character that's been in like 30 books from some author and sells a gazillion copies, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he just really wants one of those characters. And I feel like he's decided Holly is that character. I think when we do our book episode on Holly, which will, you know, will drop around the release of the book in early September, that will, we'll probably talk about that. Like, are we entering into the procedural era of Holly? Because, you know, she pops, she's in Mr. Mercedes, which is sort of a saga. And then she's in The Outsider as, as a supporting character. And then we get her in If It Bleeds, leading her own story. Mm-hmm. And Holly is sort of the first book book that mm-hmm. she is fully hers. And so I feel like we are entering that era where it's like, and I haven't finished the book, so I can't totally speak to it, but is King going to you know, try to be making books that stand on their own with Holly or is he, and you know, when I say that, I mean, I'm being loose because obviously the book stands on its own, but it, or is it going to be a Holly Gibney story? You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I Holly, I mean. a Holly Gibney is Holly story. Gonna, or uh, is she going to appear in it? You know? Right. I right. prefer so, it if it's I'm, just her popping up. That'd yeah. Be... <laughs> like I don't think of Needful Things as an Alan Pangborn story, you know? Right. Yeah. I wish he would I mean, pop up again. <laughs> I so I think, yeah. that's, I think that's where I would, I think I'd be into it if he was just telling a story and Holly pops up for a bit like she did in The Outsider. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I don't want to get into my thoughts on Holly, but, but you know, I, if if we're kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, stuck with this character, I uh, I don't think I'll be thrilled if it just sort of turns into procedural mm-hmm. Holly stories. Unfortunately, that is what King really enjoys these days. So I can yeah. see it going that direction. Um as for the talisman, I don't know. I mean, I, I I love the talisman a lot, even though it's got a million fucking like flaws and is really really <laughs> tough. But I still love it, and I there's sections of it that to me are some of my favorite King um, uh, works, like the Sunlight Gardener Home in the first book. Mm-hmm. That whole section is incredible. Black House has some really great stuff in it. We did, I think, a, a really great episode on that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know, especially after Fairy Tale, because because if there is another talisman book, I worry it will be set in that book's version yeah. of Midworld, uh, based on the teases that we get in Black House for what the next book would look like. And I don't know if I necessarily want a quote unquote really, really long book in that version of Midworld. And Jack Sawyer also, I love him as a kid. I struggled with him a bit in Black House because he's kind of one, he's like Barbie and Under the Dome, where he's one Just of these there. King characters where he King is too enamored with him. Oh. He's too good at everything. He's too smart. He's too handsome. Everybody loves him. You know, those kind of characters just get under my skin. I like his more flawed characters a bit more. Mm-hmm. And if we get, and then especially at this age where a lot of his recent books, I think he's, you know, there's obviously still that nasty undercurrent to King. But, you know, I think that there is, he is leaning a little bit more these days into characters that, you know, I don't know are are very very respectable and yeah. so i'm a little bit nervous about what a third king book could look like especially if straub isn't writing it with him so i am you know i'll be cautiously optimistic about it it's interesting i mean it's it kind of reminds me of you know things that we hear about in music where you know someone leaves some demos or mm. there's like especially the with stuff songs? 
like Beatles songs, yeah, and uh, like Real Love was one I think yeah. that they did where they kind of like re- re- reconfigure. It. It's a good song. Um, you know, it, so it could be interesting. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't really speak too much on it because I haven't read I haven't read Talisman or or Black House, but I know people are championing at the bit for that piece of news. Like when I was coming up with the feature image for like what story was going to go, I, I I mean, I went with the short story collection just because I think that's where my allegiance is. But I could see a lot. I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, Talisman 3, Talisman 3, holy shit, holy shit. So if I'm being honest, I don't really know where the where the story is going. I don't, I'm not champing at the bit because I don't know what yeah. more there needs to be done because spoiler alert for Black House, like what's revealed in Black House at the end is that it is pretty intimately connected to the dark tower mm-hmm. yeah. and the tower is finished now. And yeah. black house was an integral book in the lead up to the dark tower in, in terms of setting the stage for the final books, the final three books. So I'm not really sure where it is going. So for me, I'm like, the story doesn't feel unfinished. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we already have insomnia because my my thought would be, well, we've seen Jack as a child. We've seen him as a grown up. Now, are we going to see him as a, like an old person? But that's insomnia. We already have that book. You well, know? we can have multiple books about old people. Jen. Well, that's true. <laughs> no, only one. That's it. <laughs> well, C- Cocoon has like, what, six cast members or something? So we got, you know. Um, uh, I, I say that as a big, like, I'm not a Talisman fan. I did like Black House, but. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll I do read wonder because I'm a completist, but you know. If if it is like a post Jack Tower thing, is it a chance for him to not only check off this box because they always said they wanted to do three, but also to maybe do one more Tower book? You know, I mean, man, if you listen to our Gwendy's final task episode, I yeah. I basically was like, are we rebooting the Dark Tower? That was kind yeah. of, and I I was proven horribly wrong, which I'm glad about. I think, yeah, but. But yeah, I think that there is more tower in King. I just don't know what that looks like at all. Yeah. Yeah. And well, maybe it'll be great, you know? Yeah. Hey be. man, I'm always I'm going in optimistic to all these things. Same. Yeah. So, so I I want to recap for the short story. So we said Finn, we said Rattlesnakes, we said Willie the Weirdo. There's <laughs> also like a porn book. I know, God. <laughs> There's also the fifth step, which was from uh Harper's magazine in 2020. So oh. that could be one. Um well, yeah, and there were what that wasn't the one about the alligator, or was it? There was that I, alligator story that he released, like I believe when at the outset that was later institute. Okay. Was that oh, because the, the red, oh, the, there's right. reds, the, the red yeah. screen isn't the one with the alligator, is it? Because that's another one that he did. That was like that, that one that came out in 2021. That was the ebook. Mm. So there's that too. So, I mean, that's there are a lot yeah. out there. There's that a handful, you, can, yeah. you know, you know, collect. And I, I saw a, fo- a bunch of folks on our um, discord, which you could actually take part in too. If you, you, you know, join us, www.patreon.com slash the barons. <laughs> um, but they were also just kicking around the idea that something that we discussed last year, or actually, no, not last year, two years ago on the Creep Show stories when, uh, or maybe it was last year, I can't remember now. But anyway, the, you know, a lot of those uncollected works, like, you know, the rat, like the, not the raft, but the crate hasn't been published. Is he going to finally publish that? You know, That'd be interesting, he, yeah. Would he cannibals? eventually publish weeds, like, you know, that type of thing? Cannibals, maybe, you know, who knows? But I think based on what the discussion was, it seems as if it's a lot of new stuff, which, hey, I'm all in. I love that. And that's why I love about Just After Sunset. So I'm, I'm good. All right. Well, look, that's kind of a lot of news for us for for in terms of Kingland, because it's if you noticed uh, from our feed, we haven't done a Hollywood King since I believe May. So it's been a it's been a long time since we've done one. Um, But we've got one more thing to discuss before we get to our interview with Daphne. We got to talk about the film itself. So King on Screen 
it hit theaters this past weekend and it'll be on blu-ray and vod sometime in september i i've seen it multiple times now at this point i'm a huge documentary junkie i love having documentaries on the background so this is for me this is the type of movie that i'll probably once it hits streaming i'll just kind of keep on in the background especially if i'm doing losers club work during the day because i like to thematically tie my stuff to work sometimes Mm-hmm. Um, used to be with Spotify, but now sometimes it's with background watches. Jen, what were your, uh, initial thoughts on this, on this doc? You know, we've, especially given that our lives are, you know, we've dedicated our lives to Stephen King, right? Mm-hmm. Last six, six years for me personally also has been week to week from just talking about King. All of us have done that. So did this doc give you anything? You're like, Oh, I didn't know that, you know? It did. It was, I mean, I don't know if there were any major revelations or like (gasps) shocks, you know, Um, but we got to see some things that I'd heard about. Like I'd heard about how Frank Darabont got the rights to Green Mile um, Mm, on the set of uh, Mick Garris's The Shining, but we got to see some of that. We got to see him show up to the the set of The Green Mile. We got to see a lot of directors um, talking about their own works, but they're also talking about watching each other's work and growing up kind of in the like it starts off with this uh sentence like most people have seen a Stephen King movie even if you haven't read a Stephen King book and I think it's just a really interesting look at kind of the world of Stephen King films um and it's it's really like nice to watch like it feels Mm -hmm. good because it's like a lot of the best parts of the movies the score is great so it's just like it's got a lot of heart in it and it feels like like a hangout documentary you know yeah that's a good point it is it is a very hangout documentary and even like the bookends which are very kingian in, in in itself which we actually went to one of the sets we did uh, yeah <laughs> by accident it was right next to pat's pizza we just had no idea but what should we talk about in the interview but uh yeah it, it is very hangouty and the i guess the, the the big thing for me was and this is this is a question honestly that you that you posed randall it's just like what would we want from a stephen king documentary even like mm-hmm. removed from the the films itself like what would that documentary look like? And how would you even, I mean, would you have to Ken Burns this like and have like fucking eight volumes? Because it's like, there's so much to discuss. I mean, look, we've been doing this podcast for six years and we've only gotten to what, the, the 2010 at this point? We're about so to enter the 2010s. It's pretty wild. So, I mean, Randall, what would you want personally though from a documentary? I want mm. Ken Burns style. I want yeah. Stephen King sitting down mm. and I want him to talk about every single book he's released uh, in depth in ways that he hasn't before. Like looking back on it, you know, Uh obviously he's talked about all these books a million times. And when it comes to stuff like Carrie and the Shining, maybe there isn't anything new to say because he's talked about these things a million times. But I think for real King heads to hear him, like, I don't know, like all these years later, talk about desperation or talk about needful things or talk about, you know, even like Mr. Mercedes, like in all these years later, I feel like that shit would just be really cool. And um, so, yeah, I'd want like the King one-on-one sit down in-depth interview and make it all about the books, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and one thing we did ask her, too, is there are a couple of filmmakers that are missing in the documentary, and we talked about this a little bit. And um, so, I, you know, but you can't force people to be a part of the project. And so, you know, but I know she's planning on um, doing another project with this, too. So that would be really exciting. I would love a little bit of um, discussion about the Dollar Babies, you know, and just kind of how that kind of comes to life. And I know we've talked to Julia a little bit about that, and we're going to again. but. You know, that is an element of King on screen, too, that I think is really unique to him. It is very unique. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of 
it's bizarre to think that that's like a whole program and it's almost yeah. like this like young filmmakers program in itself. There is a doc just waiting there to be happened. Hey, John. Yeah, John exactly. Yeah. Go, go make, you, you got that one right there in your hands. You need a narrator. Um, yeah, seriously. So I, I, I agree that I would love to have like a one-on-one, like one of my favorite docs that I've seen more than anyone in the world, more than the filmmaker itself. I know going to say, the freaking one. <laughs> one freaking leap of faith. I've fallen asleep to it every day, every, almost every night since it's come out just because I love his voice and I just you love freak. hearing him. You I'm freak. a psychopath. Freaking. It's, either that or, it's either that or the changeling. But now- I fall asleep to William Friedkin's voice. Just, yeah. It's just like- Nobody else on earth has Citizen ever Kane. That. Um, and he just talks. I've heard- I could, hey, like, The heart wants re- what the heart everything. wants, okay. You know, and it's freaking. So I, I it was honestly his death. I just- been, it's, it's, it's his death has actually hit me harder than like some family members, which is really sad. But anyway, um, I, I would love to have a Stephen King documentary in that respect. And there's actually another freaking doc that I've been loving because it used to only be on Showtime, but it's called Freaking Uncut and it's on Tubi right now. And I, so I've been just oh shit. I might watch loving it. that. And there's also another one that's called the uh, Milius, uh, Milius, John, about John Milius. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That, that, that doc is fucking awesome. But I love these docs because. If they have one subject, like in this case, it's a bunch of movies, right? So it's really mm-hmm. hard to like have a focus because, and she'll yeah. talk about that on the interview because it's just so much, there's just so, much, so much out there. Yeah. And so you really have to kind of break it into themes. But if you do have it and just keep it on King and have King be the beam to stay on theme here, then you would be able to kind of have this be sequentialized, especially chronologically. I mean, that's what we've been doing on this podcast. So I agree, like having a one-on-one with him and being able to also maybe pivot over to other you know, conversations to other people that he's worked with and, um, and what have you would be, would be fucking awesome. I would, but yeah, I would do it and do it. Like, it you know, that's why I say burns like series style. So he doesn't, it's yeah. not just like rushing through it. Like, like I want 70s, 10 hour, 80s, I, 90s. Yeah. 10, I want yeah. the 10 hour all, doc yeah. about it, man. You know, yeah, give it to me. Yeah. 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 Make it happen. Because Ken burns. for me, it's like, it's like his life. I, I, I think there is a great documentary to be made about his life, but we also know so much about it because mm-hmm. he's always worn that on his sleeve. I mean, on writing is a little mini autobiography, mm-hmm. but his books are so personal and uh-huh. he's, you know, he's the kind of guy who's never shied away from, you know, talking about about himself talking about his upbringing talking about his life the people he knows his friends he has like he's oh he's a very public persona unlike someone like you know like tim thomas pinchon or something who nobody knows anything about it's exactly. like that yeah. that i don't need to see that story because i feel like i have a sense of it so yeah. i would just want to hear him like when you've written this many books over all these years and you have always remained popular like how do you look back on that stuff over okay. you know all these years later that's like the doc i want to see yeah. yeah let's let's get spielberg to do it too so uh <laughs> so then that. you get like two titans in, in one anyway well i think we've yammered long enough so let's hear what daphne has to say about the doc enjoy our chat and we'll see you on the other side hi daphne hey nice to meet you hi, nice to meet nice you, to meet you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I, I guess, you know, we always start with the same question over and over because we think this is a good first question because as as you know, as a filmmaker, we all have our own origin stories. And I wanted to hear your origin story with Stephen King. Where did it all begin for you? Uh, you know, first introductions, first works, uh, basically the beginning of your entry into King's Dominion. <laughs> Well, actually, I've always been a huge reader and I was a very fan of horror at a very young age. Uh, And when I was 10, I was asking my father, "Okay, do you have some book recommendation? Because I want to read something very scary, you know, and he 
took me to a bookstore and then he gave me two books. One was Rosemary's Baby and the other one was The Shining. So that's how I discovered Stephen King for the first time. I read The Shining in two days, something like that. I was completely hooked. And uh, after that, I read it and all of uh, the others. Um, novels and um, at the same time uh, I watched a lot of the adaptations you know uh, the green mile the shining uh the stand so yeah I love Ira Levin. I love Rosemary's Baby too. And I think the two of those two authors are such great storytellers. Um, do you have a favorite Stephen King book? Uh, regarding the book, I think it's quite difficult, you know, because there are so many. I know, uh, yeah. It's like choosing yeah. a child. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. Uh, one that I really like to, to, to talk about uh, is Juma Key, because I think it's a book that is not often mentioned. So it's mm -hmm. a little bit the one that I choose when I have to, uh, because I think it, it deserves uh, way more attention that it has, really. And I think it's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I love Duma Key. We recently read that one. And I do, I think you're right. I think it gets overlooked in a lot of ways because um, it kind of feels, it's not set in Maine and it's kind of outside of his general of, but it is such a good one, you know, and it's very like engrossing and cathartic and it comes at such an interesting time in his career also. So that's, that's a great pick. Yeah, you're gonna get some huge points with the constant listeners because <laughs> yeah. that's yeah, they they just I mean because it's just it is one of those left field ones that I I feel like it has started to I guess kind of become what Gerald's game was before the adaptation you yeah because I remember hearing that all the time and being like oh Gerald's game huh and then Mike Flanagan's like well I'm gonna go make it and then now everyone knows about Gerald's game so I guess someone's got to make the Duma Key movie at this point but uh, so yeah. when it comes to the movies though. Um, what was your favorite adaptation? Like, what's the one that, you know, and also was it also the adaptations that pulled you even further into Stephen King or was it the works? Well, actually, it's um, it's more the books that really uh, made me going, you know. Uh, but at the same time, the, the adaptation that really had a great impact on me was The Green Mile. Uh, it's mm -hmm. really the film that uh, is... Uh, like a true masterpiece for me because I have always been so moved, you know, and it had a, a great uh, impression on me because I, I've seen it like at a very young age. And it's something that really shaped the way uh, that I was uh, thinking and, uh, you know, every message that it has in it uh, about uh, uh, tolerance and, and, Every every social issues that you you find in these films are so interesting, you know, and so moving. So yeah, that 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 is my go-to adaptation. And you said you you saw it at a young age. So did you see the movie before you read the book? Yes, absolutely. With the Green Mile, I've seen the movie, mm -hmm. reading the book, and it was like you know, uh, it's it's three hour long so it's kind of a like a, a big piece but at the same mm -hmm. time I think the, the best way to adapt Stephen King you know because in that way you can really go uh, deep into the characters deep into the story and I think uh, Frank Darabont uh, made a, a terrific job with that one and Shoshank and the mist yeah yeah wow. 
I agree. I'm a big Darabont fan. I think one of my favorite adaptations will always be Shawshank Redemption, um, even though there have been some really great ones that have come since then. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it's a hard it's hard to choose a Stephen King book because there are so many, and there are also so many adaptations. So I imagine approaching this project and tackling King on screen would kind of feel like like a huge project. So can you tell us how the documentary kind of came to fruition and how you approached it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a huge project. And uh, doing it, we realized that it was like so difficult, you know, because when you are uh, making a documentary about the, the adaptations, they are like more than uh, 80 adaptations, you know. So we were aware uh, since the beginning that we wouldn't it wouldn't be possible to have like a documentary with all the adaptations it wasn't mm-hmm. working it wasn't an option so since the beginning we thought okay we should have something quite human you know and having something like talking about the, the different uh, subjects and topics that we have in Stephen King's work and that really had a this impact on the filmmakers and talking with them about their work but yeah it was quite um we we knew that we wouldn't go for some kind of chronological you know approach like talking about this adaptation than this one than this one uh it would have been you know interesting because we would have lost a lot of interesting things because you you can't talk about uh carrie and uh, the the treatment that is made with this uh, great female character and then going uh some uh um like 20 minutes later and talking about gerald's game and saying again oh that's a great female character you know so it wouldn't have made more much sense to do something like that. So we really wanted to go like talking about the different topics and having one director uh, throwing the ball to another one and so on. And I imagine so much of it was dictated on, you know, who you were able to access to. I mean, were there points in the process of this filmmaking where you thought, all right, we still got to keep going. There's still, we still need this name. We still need that name. At what point did you say, all right, we got enough. (laughs) And at what point did you thought, did you think, oh my gosh, like we don't have enough. Like, was there a middle ground at some point where you were like, oh, cool. We're we're there. We're getting there. Um, Well, uh, pretty early, we got a lot of directors saying they they were part of it. So like from the beginning, there were uh, 20 directors who, agreed to be in the documentary. Uh, But after it's true that I really wanted to have Andres Mucchetti, for example, to to dig a little bit more about uh, the, you know, it. Um, And also uh, Marie Lambert uh, to talk about uh, her adaptation of Pet Cemetery. And, uh, but uh, it wasn't possible. Sometimes uh, in terms of schedule, sometimes the director just didn't want to be a part of the film. So we really had to, you know, sometimes uh, try to find another solution, for example, uh, and to to see, well, to talk a little bit um, less about it and pet symmetry that we wanted. But uh, yeah, at the end, we are pretty happy because we had a great cast, you know, we, we had so, so many great directors in the documentary. So we are really happy about that. 
was anybody a, a flat out no or did was anybody just opposed to it or is there anybody that's not a director that you would have liked to have included that you didn't get a chance to talk to well actually it was really a film about the directors you know mm -hmm. i didn't want to have someone who wasn't a director in the film because it didn't make sense mm -hmm. uh, uh, regarding the the directors well some of them clearly didn't answer for example i was talking about marie lambert i tried uh, very much to approach her a lot of mm -hmm. times and uh, kimberly pierce for example she just no uh but yeah uh so the, the only two women that's a shame yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing um but yeah i um i, I was uh quite excited because i on the other hand, uh, we, we had so many great um, people and uh, they were so excited to, to talk about uh, their project and their films and talking to directors is always amazing because it's like um, they are talking about their baby in some, some way. So it's always great and it's always fascinating uh, discussions, you know. Who was, uh, which filmmaker do you feel was like the most receptive? Like where you're, you almost had to be like, all right, that's enough. We got enough. <laughs> like they were telling you too much almost sometimes. I don't know. I think they were very excited to talk. Uh, and we, sometimes we talk for more than two hours and a oh half. Uh, so yeah, with some of the directors, it's like 40 hours at the end that I had uh, all wow. directors you know uh yeah 40 hours interview so it was quite uh amazing to 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 to, to have all those uh great interviews and at the same time it was very difficult to make choices because when you have so much you are like okay i really love that part but i can't put it in the in the edit it it just doesn't work because if I put it, it's like, okay, but then we don't have anything to connect it. So yeah, we had to make tough choices, but that's why we decided to have a book uh, aside of the documentary to, with the full length interviews. So interesting. We okay. Very cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Well, and I wanted to ask too, is there anything that you filmed that you really, really wanted to put in, but it just didn't make the final cut for time or whatever? And not to spoil the book coming up, but is there anything that you got out of filmmakers that you're excited to talk about that we don't get to see in the film? Well, uh, yeah, there are a lot of things. Uh, for example, there are some directors that we don't see a lot in the documentary, and I wish uh, I would have them uh, a little bit more, uh, like, uh, for example, Scott Hicks or Mick Garris or, you know, um, who, who told great things, absolutely amazing stories about their films. But each time we try to, to put those in the documentary and we were like, OK, but then it moves everything around and we can't take we can't connect it. So it's more like a, a general feeling that thinking about one thing in particular, you know, but yeah, it was uh, quite fr frustrating having to choose sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, so I wanted to ask about the process of that too. Cause, um, so one of the, in my past days in my past life or whatever, I used to be an editor <laughs> and we used to do a lot of oral histories and I learned very fast that 
there has to be some sort of uniformity to a lot of the interviews because they're going to have a lot of lanes of the story that you want to tell and, and, and the arc. And is that something that you had to do with these interviews? Like, did you have a lot of the same questions for a lot of the same filmmakers so that you were able to be like, okay, well, this section of the movie, we're going to talk about this. And we got, you know, Tom Holland to say this. We got Mick Harris to say this. We got, Mick, you know, we got Frank Darabont to say this. Is, did you have it organized of such that each filmmaker pretty much got a lot of the same questions so that you'd have a lot of the unifying themes? Or was it more just you had to really go through every interview and go, okay, this is kind of similar to that and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Well, absolutely. When I'm talking about some of the, the films, for example, I know that when I'm talking to uh, Mick Garris, I will definitely talk about The Shining. And sometimes mm -hmm. I know that uh, with uh, Mike Flanagan, it would be the case. But uh, sometimes I was quite surprised because, for example, I talked about that film with um, with Dan Atias because I uh, was just curious to know uh, his thoughts uh, about the, the, the Stanley Kubrick adaptation. And it's something that wasn't planned uh, to be in the documentary because I didn't know that he had something to do, to, to say about that. And sometimes you are, uh, you know, you are, you have some surprises because you don't know if one director knows a lot about one film, if uh, theme, you know, all film in particular. And uh, sometimes they, they do, sometimes they don't. So you have to adjust all the time. But for sure, there were uh, questions that were um, asked to a lot of the directors about their process and also about some themes, for example, the family unit in, the, yeah. in King because a lot of the movies are about that. Or uh, the female characters, I knew that for sure I was gonna talk about that with Taylor Hackford, but at the same time with Mike Flanagan because he made Gerald's game. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that really speaks to him. So I knew that I had some connection that was completely uh, prepared since uh, day one and others that really uh, pop up uh, at the end. Yeah, one of the things I love about the film is it just the warmth that you can feel with everyone talking about each other's work, you know, and I love hearing different directors reflect on like the Stephen King adaptations that they grew up watching. And I think it's so interesting to see a director who was a fan and is now adapting a Stephen King novel for uh, for their own work. And I also loved the uh, love for Mick Garris's The Shining um, I'm, I've got a real soft spot for that miniseries. And when I think of Jack Torrance, I think of Stephen Weber and Rebecca de Mornay as Wendy. So I loved hearing a little bit about, um, how that came to pass. And it was also really interesting to hear that that was kind of maybe not the genesis of the Green Mile adaptation, but how those two stories connected, mm -hmm. I thought was really interesting. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the bookends of the film, which are so much fun. Like, I feel like for constant readers, we love looking for the Easter eggs and there's just so many, and there are really some unexpected ones like in the tall grass. And I think things that are not like the, the top 10 Stephen King stories, but that constant readers still love. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to film that and how you conceptualized it and made it happen? Yeah, absolutely. It was a great adventure, actually. It took a, a lot of time and a lot of uh, organization to pull things together. 
Um, but yeah, we really wanted to give the audience the feeling that they were entering into Stephen King universe, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, okay, but if we are doing this, we really want to do it well. So we, since the day one, we thought, okay, we have to scout in Maine because we wanted to shoot in Maine. So we shot in Orono and Bangor. Uh, so really uh, the hometown of Stephen King. And after that, we we thought, okay, we well, we found the the perfect street actually, and um, everything in there was perfect, you know, to to adapt and to to put like some kind of the Stephen King universe in that street, you know, mm. having um, made the the tall grass uh, barbershop and everything. Uh, I mean, we 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 had a a great team to work on that and even the creep shop actually we at the end of the street we found this shop that was completely empty and we had the luck to to meet the the owner of the shop and he told us well you can use it you can do whatever you want with it so we were able to paint it and and to work on that and to 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 work on that universe you know and we also wanted to have actors who who were emblematic in our uh, in Stephen King's adaptations you know since the documentary was really about the filmmakers uh, the directors uh, we thought it could be a nice way to have actors you know in the documentary and asking them to act you know to to make some kind of cameo um, in the in the in the in the intro so that was a great experience difficult because we shot in maine in february which is oh. not the best time oh, to Lord. shoot in. wow <laughs> it was really fun and it was great and even uh having mick garris on set because he came to make a cameo as well so he's a blind man mm -hmm. working with him. um so yeah it was a lot of fun it's it's crazy because we were there in September and mm -hmm. it, we went to go to Pat's Pizza and just because we were trying to stop at all the, the hangouts of his. And so when we were at Pat's Pizza, we were parking the car and I was like, what the hell is this? And it was like this empty shop and it said creep shop on it. And there's <laughs> we were laughing because we were like. The, you know, one of the things that we loved about Banger was that they they don't really try to lean into the Stephen King thing. It's like, all right, well, King lives here. You know, he's written his stories. He's definitely, you know, it, you can see pieces of him, but it's not like, oh, here's the Stephen King merch store or whatever. But like, so when I saw this empty store, I was like, wait, is this coming into town? Like, are they going to actually like lean into this on the thing? So when I saw it pop up in, in the dock, I was like, oh, now it makes all sense. Because like, <laughs> no one could give me an answer. And I was, I was just like, I was like, all right, then what? what is this spooky fucking store doing here? <laughs> and I was like, it was because it was totally empty. And we were mm -hmm. just like, oh my gosh, what is this? Like, are we go? Are we losing our minds? Um, yeah. So it, I thought that was, a, it was very, for me, it was like, I felt like Rick Dalton in like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the store. Um, so yeah, I thought it was very effective. And look, as of last September, early October, it's still there. So yeah. perhaps the, the location might still be up. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought they, they would have removed everything. But yeah, that's so funny because, well, the, the first time we saw the, the store, uh, it wasn't like, you know, uh, Stephen King universe uh, material because it was all pink. So we asked <laughs> the 
or if we could paint it because in, in pink it would have been quite difficult you know to to have that, that vibe so we we got the chance that he said yeah sure absolutely and then we we chose the color with the with the team and went uh, with uh, you know green and the gold brown those kind of of colors that are you know more uh king suitable somehow totally, yeah. <laughs> totally. did you did you, when you were there, were you able to kind of, I mean, I know it was winter, but were you able to kind of scratch the itch a little bit and have any stops yourself to kind of enjoy as just a fan or were you too busy with the filming? Well, we were a lot of, uh, yeah, we were very busy with the film, but actually we went a couple of times uh, in Maine. Uh, we went the first time in June. Uh, Much better. Yeah, the, the weather was much better, yeah. and uh, we we got this uh, great tour uh, with James, who's making uh, tour um, in Maine, and he's such a he's such a, a great guy, and he mm-hmm. helped us that you know, and he was so nice. We we can send every prop to his house. Actually, we sent a lot of prop to his house. Oh, wow. <laughs> He was a great help with the, the documentary. And so we were able in June when we came, um, so June uh, 21 for the first time, he showed us, uh, we, he, we had a private tour with him. And then after we came back, like in uh, January 2022, uh, to really make sure that everything was okay to have all the authorization for filming and etc etc with the producer and to meet with them the the team so, so some of the, the the crew members who were there and then after like six weeks later we had to to shot so it was a yeah an amazing experience you know shooting in maine it's uh, it's really fun because people are very friendly, you know, oh, yeah. and they were they were very excited about the project and they were like really willing to help. So it was such a pleasure to do it there. Yeah. 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 That's one of the my favorite trips I yeah. think of my life, you know, and growing up as a Stephen King fan to actually be in some of those locations. Like I, I cried a couple of times um, and yeah, Stephen King tours, Jamie and Jennifer, they're like, I think I know a lot about Stephen King. And then you start talking to them and you're like, oh, wow, they really know a lot. Like they live and breathe it and they just couldn't be any nicer. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned female characters earlier, and I loved the love for um, Taylor Hackford's Dolores Claiborne, which is one of my favorite books and adaptations. Um, Who are your favorite female characters in King's writing. And if you could adapt any of his uh, novels or stories, what would it be? Well, actually, I really love uh, Carrie, for example. I think she's such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. And well, um, Gerald's Game, it's true that since I, re- well, I read the book like when I was 16 or something like that, and I thought immediately that she was such an interesting woman, you know? And I really liked and uh, yeah, and after that, I um, well, <laughs> uh, regarding the the book that I would adapt, it would be uh, I guess Jumaki, you know. Yeah, I, was gonna, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna wait, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because the main character is not a, a female character, but I think it's uh, 
it's so interesting, you know, that this man who is having his middle life crisis after losing his arm. I think it's such a great story, and even visually, you can you can do so much. Uh, it's so interesting because you 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 are able to do a lot with with a book like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a male protagonist, but there's a female villain, so that would be really fun too. Um, and I. I was wondering, like, from a director's point of view, do you think there are any particular challenges to adapting Stephen King's work that would make it more difficult or maybe more rewarding than any other authors, you know? Yeah, I think that it's a great material to start with. I think the characters are terrific. And uh, the the whole um, way that is he is writing things that are so visual, you know, so you can picture things and have a lot of things to you. You can have a lot of liberty with that kind of material, you know, a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's complicated because, you know, those are huge books. It's uh, like something like uh, 500 pages. So it's very difficult because you have to to see in the book what you have to remove. So sometimes it's not easy to, to, to make those choices. And especially because you know that all the fans are going to blame you uh, for moving things. So mm. when you, I think, it's something that is not um, easy to deal with. It's like um, the audience, because you know that uh, even if you are doing a film that is um, that is good, you know, you know that the audience is going to say, "Well, uh, that's not like in the book," and uh, why that that thing in the book was great, and we don't have it on screen. So I think it's always like um difficult to to adapt a Stephen King book because you know that you are they are waiting for you you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the things that we've learned especially because for the losers club we've been doing this for oh my gosh probably we're coming up to <laughs> seven years now at this point but so we've been doing it chronologically and we've only just gotten to under the dome which was 2009 so in six years, we've only gotten to 2009, uh, but and he still keeps knocking them out. So God knows we'll probably be doing this for six more years. But looking at all the adaptations, there's been, been so many ebbs and flows with, all right, he's got a ton of movies out right now. And then maybe you get one or two peppered here and there. Looking at the whole like timeline, especially having to you know kind of chart out all of the films, where do you think, you know, what era do you feel like got his work the best like you know where you had like the best run of movies um you know for your money where, where, where do you think is like the strongest stretch it's difficult because i think there were uh, a lot of great films uh, that were made uh, in different uh, periods for example if you you see the 19s in the 19s we have shoshank redemption and we have the green mind we, we both are extremely great uh, films but at the same time in 2000s and so we've got the mist and we've got and even to today those uh, last years we got like a gerald's game which is a, a, a great one i think mm -hmm. so and one of my favorites. and a lot of them so i think it's really difficult you know because it's like 
in each um, decade, you can find several great films, you know? So it's, um, I don't think that there is a, a particular uh, golden age uh, for Stephen King uh, adaptations because you can find always in uh, those years, uh, uh, one or two uh, films that are really like outstanding, you know? So I think it's, uh, it's it's difficult to, to to know exactly what what's the best period, you know. Yeah, which is a no, great problem is. to have, you know. Yeah, <laughs> an embarrassment <laughs> of riches, maybe. Um, well, and I know that you've um, talked about a follow up, and you also told us about um, a book. Can you tease that book a little bit? And uh, who would be a white whale for interview? Well, in the book, we will have like a full length interviews of the directors we, we got the chance to meet. So for sure, uh, every one of them. And uh, besides, we will uh, give some behind the scene uh, of the, the, the documentary making and talking about the fictional introduction and a little bit how this uh, project uh, came to life. And uh, yeah, I, we will probably try to to meet one or two directors that we didn't get the chance to 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 meet uh, for the documentary. Uh, but we will see about that because it's still in the pipes for now. Mm-hmm. Don't, so we we are not sure exactly what will happen next. But uh, yeah, we would love that to have some uh, of the directors that we weren't able to have uh, in the film. Well. Good luck with all of it. Uh, you've, this is a hell of a run so far. I mean, I, I just, know. Uh, when I, the, the trailer came out, it was just like, oh, well, he's in it and, and he's in it and he's in it. It's like, it felt like it was the, the old Heather Locklear uh, commercial. It's just like, <laughs> and he saw his friend and they t- told their friend. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to mm-hmm. us and uh, very looking very forward to the the book and uh, seeing what's next as, as everyone else does all the time. But good luck with everything. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you so much. See you too, Nate. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. All right. Well, the sun's setting, as it always does over Hollywood King. So I guess it's time to hit the road, Jack, before those Hollywood vamps creep on out, thinking that Dobbs lot is hitting the screen. Sorry, (laughs) vamps. Not coming out yet. Sorry, Might be a tax (laughs) write-off. Anyway, but don't go away. We've got a lot of fresh new content heading your way. Next week, we're going to be talking about the, the Under the Dome TV show, if you recall that one. Uh, I watched the first season, and I'm going to be watching the first season again because yeah. we're going to be dissecting all that next week. Uh, happy birthday to me. Uh, remember, <laughs> and then we've also got a new Stephen King Archives episode that Randall already teased the, that's going to be tackling the cannibals. Uh, which is going to get into the seeds of origin, uh, the, the origins of uh, Under the Dome. We also have an incredible conversation on all the bad boys in Kings mm-hmm. Dominion yes. you could find our Such a fun round. app. Fun app. Good, fun. good stuff. Good, good oh, bad yeah. boys. Yeah, power power hour in there. Talk, you know. Lo- okay. lots of, yeah. We talk about Steve Kemp maybe as much as we talk about Henry. Oh, Robert, so. <laughs> wow. Cujo Steve Kemp, right? With, yeah. Uh, jer- jerk off Steve Kemp. Jerk off yeah, Steve he blows Kemp, the load yeah. on the Yeah, he's like, the as we say like, about 30 like, times on the episode. Just ridiculous. Yeah, God. Um, <laughs> Real bad well, boy behavior. Lots of stuff. Yeah. But we well, we also are going to be doing a watch along of Stand By Me on our Discord. So I mentioned it before. Discord's fun. It's a lot of, a lot of constant listeners just yeah. like you. And uh, they're always chatting about random things left and right 24-7. And uh, if you want to hang out with us, watch uh, Stand By Me, win some merch. 
join the, join the Discord, www.patreon.com slash the Barons. You'll get access to all our content and be able to partake in the event, which is going to be August 25th. So we'll we'll be doing that. Uh, and just stay tuned. We're, you know, we've we've got our socials. You could go on uh, Losers Club Pod or Losers Club Podcast. We've got Facebook, Instagram, X, whatever it's called these days. Fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> anyway, so if you're feeling really charitable, though, why don't you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify? You can tell us how you can tell me how I'm not funny. That'd be fun. But uh, or you could give us bright red Pennywise clown noses. Just do that, and because you know, look, we are your favorite. We are your devoted. We are your only losers club. Uh, and I'll be seeing you over long days and, and pleasant, pleasant, pleasant nights. Nice. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.